Progressive Commentary Hour. Our theme today, re-examining COVID and all that we were told, how much was true, how much was lies or misinformation. And by the way, I'm going to give you where to reach out to my guest right now instead of the end of the program. If you have questions, if you want additional information, if you want to know about alternative approaches to COVID, COVID-19 criticalcare.com. That's COVID-19criticalcare.com. Everyone in this audience has been impacted directly or indirectly because of COVID. It is a disaster. And yet, the information that we were shared has not been challenged. It has not been refuted by the scientists, physicians, government officials, or the mainstream media. It has accepted everything as being true, and it is not. And my guest is here to offer his perspective, coming from a very distinguished position, and he is Dr. Paul Merrick. Dr. Merrick has an unusual background in that he was one of the most respected physicians in America. He's a former distinguished professor of internal medicine and chair of pulmonary care and critical care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School. He holds fellowships in the Canadian Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, the American College of Physicians and Surgeons, and the American Board of Physicians Nutrition Specialists. He's the author of over 400 peer-reviewed journal papers, 50 book chapters, and four books on critical care. In 2017, the American College of Physicians gave him an award of National Teacher of the Year. So he has a remarkable background. But he joined with Dr. Pierre Corey, to create the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance in order to educate physicians, scientists, and patients about effective protocols that could help prevent infection or death or hospitalization. Now to our guest, Dr. Pierre Corey. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You contributed a short chapter in Dr. Robert Malone's recent book, Lies My Government Told Me, which gives your personal account of being ousted from the university system. You taught and practiced emergency medicine for many years due to your your dissident views. Let's say the non-treatment of COVID patients recommended by the federal health authorities. As we saw, there was absolutely no recommendation for preventing COVID infections or treating cases by biological means other than lockdowns, quarantine, and other infective draconian rules. But due to your treating patients on your own with unapproved treatments such as hydroxychloroquine supplements, vitamin C, and I assume later ivermectin, your employer, Centara Norfolk General Hospital in Virginia, terminated your services for not following protocol. Please summarize your that experience. But more important, what was your epiphany during the pandemic that made you aware that the state 
of established medicine in the United States and internationally as well, such as the World Health Organization, was anti-science, contrary to the adhering to best principles, and they were captured by bureaucratic and financial interest at the expense of public health and using the most effective treatments for ridding a disease, regardless of how cheap they may be. They rejected all that. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, so, you know, what happened with COVID? COVID shone a bright light on what's been present for maybe 40 years. You know, a completely corrupt, dysfunctional healthcare system that's um, subservient to the interests of big pharma, big nutrition, and, uh, and you know, big large industrial um, outfits, and that the public health agencies have no interest in the public's health. And so this has been going on for at least 40 years. Unfortunately or fortunately, COVID shot a bright light on, on, on this travesty. So in my particular case, what happened is, as you said, you know, when COVID came, the NIH, the CDC, the, the, who said there's no specific treatment, which was really absurd because I worked in the ICU, patients were dying. How can you not treat patients? So we put together a treatment protocol, which we called the MATH Plus, which was uh, methylprednisolone, ascorbic acid, heparin, and thiamine. Subsequently, the benefit of these drugs has been proven in randomized controlled trials. In fact, the use of heparin and um, steroids is now considered standard of care. But when we introduced this protocol, we were considered rebels. We were severely criticized and demonized. And so I used this protocol in my hospital, and we had really good results. Our mortality was at least half that of other hospitals across the world. But then what happened was the hospital then sent out a memo to the entire healthcare system, the entire healthcare system, but it was really targeted at me, basically saying that the treatments I was using would no longer be allowed. The pharmacy would not dispense the medications that I wanted to, to use which included vitamin C and over-the-counter medications that are safe and effective. You know, ivermectin wasn't on the list. And so basically what they wanted me to do was to use, the only thing I could use was remdesivir. And we know that remdesivir increases the risk of renal failure, kidney failure at least 20-fold, and increases the risk of death. But hospitals get a 20% bonus if they prescribe remdesivir. So I refused. I absolutely refused because so what happened then is is my hands were tied. I went to work the following week. I had seven patients with COVID and all seven of them died because I was unable to treat them. So I decided to take my hospital to court to try to get an injunction. But much like the whole COVID narrative, um, the hospital's lawyers and the hospital's Experts lied under oath. Let me say that again. They lied under oath. So we didn't prevail in this lawsuit. And ultimately, the hospital withdrew my privileges to practice medicine. So they they effectively ended my career just because I wouldn't treat patients the way I deemed fit and which we had proven reduced the risk of dying 
by 50% at least. So I, I was I was reprimanded. My career was ended just because I wanted to treat my patients the way I wanted to and save their lives. And so that's the unfortunate summary of what happened. And it attests to the terrible hospitals and healthcare systems that become dangerous places for sick people. It's a really unfortunate statement to make as a hospital-based physician. It's a tragedy that I have to say this, but unfortunately it's the truth. And this is the reason patients now have to take matters in their own hands. They have to be empowered. They have to make sure they stay as healthy as they can. And what they need to do is avoid the hospital as best they can, because hospitals are not safe places for sick people. I appreciate your opening statement. I would like to look at something that I consider extremely important that the media is paying no attention to whatsoever. And that is, we had hundreds of millions of doses of the vaccines. First, we were told one, then two, then booster one, booster two, booster three. And now we are looking carefully with good independent science from all over the world and seeing that virtually every single thing they told us to do was wrong. Based upon good science, not people's feelings or opinions, but quality science, the, M uh, the PCR test that Dr. Kerry Mullis, who was a friend of mine, won the Nobel Prize for discovering, said you can't use high amplifications. We were using high amplifications, 41. So almost all those were false positive readings. We were telling people to quarantine we denied the ability of natural immunity. We said everyone was equally susceptible to wear masks, to have children wear masks. Studies were done. I've, I showed two of the film studies where children wearing a mask with a monitor in it. One, the monitor went off and alarm went off in 15 seconds that the person wearing the mask was breathing in too much carbon dioxide, wasn't being exhaled. And they were wearing these all day long. Another one wearing a, the mask that people were wearing showed that they were oxygen deprived. Another alarm went off in the mask. And yet with all these alarms and the mainstream science showing there is no proof that this mask is preventing transmission, uh, we wore the mask, endangering, endangering children's lives permanently. We then, uh, so the test wasn't accurate, the mask didn't work. Uh, we were told people to quarantine no matter what, they weren't going outside, they weren't getting sunshine, people were malnourished, people were depressed, and yet they said the only drug that you can take is remdesivir, as you mentioned, and yet it had never been tested, not once on COVID-19, this particular virus. It had been tested with the Ebola virus in Africa with a 54% mortality rate, yet no one questioned, why are they promoting this? Intubation was used, and a lot of pulmonologists realized that was a terrible mistake. Hyperbaric would have been beneficial, but not intubation, so a high, high level of death. And so people were terrified to go into a hospital, even to get a test, afraid they would contract COVID. Then all the drugs that you mentioned, and more, were denied. And yet, uh, Wuhan uh, University Hospital, at the very beginning of the pandemic, had two separate studies showing that intravenous vitamin C at 24,000 milligrams eradicated the disease and the people didn't die. Now, mind you, these were two studies. None of that was used in the United States. 
wasn't even mentioned. And then we were told, get the vaccine, you won't transmit it, you won't uh, be infected, and you won't die and go to the hospital. None of that was true. They had never done the test to determine that what they were saying. So we had, we had disinformation everywhere in the media. And then we had the vaccine apartheid. But here's where we're at today, and this is what I'd like you to share your deep knowledge on this. Now I'm saying that the worst is yet to come. Oh, if we think everything has happened at this point is a problem, it's not the major problem. The major problem is they used experimental uh, self-organizing uh, lipid nanoparticles. And now we're finding these get together in the body and the veins and arteries, and they grow. One was six feet long. And then that causes heart attacks and strokes. They also found graphene, and that was causing micro cuts in the minor capillary system, which is causing blood clotting uh, and strokes. And we also find that uh, that they told us the vaccine would stay in our you know deltoid muscle. It didn't. It goes to every cell in the body, and that it would go out of the body very quickly. Now we're finding out even a year later, people got the vaccine, the body is still producing the spike proteins, and the spike proteins in and of themselves are creating autoimmune conditions and themselves are toxic. And yet, every one of the major studies that have come out showing how many people have, been died, have died or been injured, including permanent injury, none of that is ever covered. No one's ever invited in the media to talk about what happened to their life. So we're causing massive destruction of human life and suffering due to the later effects. If everyone thought the show was over, you got your vaccines, you got your boosters, everything's good, it's not. We're going to see massive injuries from this going forward unless we're honest and use the protocols that you and Dr. Uh, Dr. McCullough and others have created to help neutralize these negative effects. Please take us on this journey now of what people can reasonably expect to happen based upon how many vaccines and which vaccine they got. Yeah, so Gary, what you say is absolutely correct. They lied to us about everything. Literally everything they told us turned out to be a big lie. So we know for a fact the vaccines aren't effective and we know for a fact they're not safe. In fact, we know from data from Cleveland Clinic that vaccination increases your risk of getting COVID. Let me say that again, because it's so astonishing. Because the vaccines decrease your uh, immune status, because of the effect of immune print imprinting, vaccination increases your risk of getting COVID. Vaccination increases your risk of being hospitalized. Vaccination increases your risk of dying. So it's not, it's not effective. In terms of its safety, we know, and this is indisputable, this is the CDC's own data, that approximately 8% of people vaccinated, 8%, and these are reported, will develop a serious adverse event. And most of these serious adverse events are events that occur within the first month. So it doesn't take into account, as you said, the delayed consequences of the vaccine. So we used to think that if you, you know, you managed to evade the first month, you'd skip the bullet and you, you, were out of, you were in the clear. But now we know this is not true. So that clotting manifestations and cardiac manifestations may occur up to two years 
after the vaccine. But is what is even more troubling is the increased risk of cancers. We know now definitively that the vaccine increases the risk of people getting cancer. These are called turbo cancers. So people who previously in remission now develop massively uncontrolled cancers. Patients develop cancers at a young age, unusual cancers, aggressive cancers. These are called turbo cancers. And so the time frame of getting these cancers is unclear. And in fact, it may be lifelong. So those who have been vaccinated may have, and we don't know the data, may have a lifelong increased risk of getting cancer, which is shocking. And of course, mainstream media won't address this. The healthcare agencies won't address this. They're completely ignoring what may become a major, major healthcare issue. Would you also share with us the insights that we need to know that the media is not sharing about there are alternative therapies that a group of scientists around the world, starting here in the United States, are now using successfully that can actually stop the spike protein from reproducing, can stop the lipid nanoparticles from self-organizing and clogging veins and arteries, and can stop the attack upon the reproductive system. And I'd also like for you to mention why doctors are still, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, is still recommending that an obstetrician's gynecologist are recommending pregnant women to get vaccinated when the science is just overwhelming that it's going to increase the risk of uh, miscarriages, stillbirths, and, uh, and they're not being warned about any of this. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think to vaccinate a child and to vaccinate a pregnant woman is without question a crime against humanity. And in fact, many, many civilized countries have actually banned the use of vaccines in anyone below the age of 40. So it is astonishing in this country that we continue to vaccinate children whose risk of dying of COVID is so exceedingly small. They had a much higher risk of drowning in their bathtub than of dying of COVID. So why don't they ban bathtubs instead of vaccinating children? It's an outrage. And then obviously we know that the, the, the miscarriage rate in the first trimester in women who vaccinated is about 80%. 80% of women who are vaccinated will have a miscarriage. So it seems to be more efficient in terminating pregnancy than the abortion medication. It's an outrage, it's an outrage, outrage. So in the UK, the UK government has actually stopped at recommending vaccination in women. And in fact, many Scandinavian countries have banned vaccination below the age of 40. But yet we continue to vaccinate in this country completely blind to the literature, which you say is, is absolutely out there. The, this, the data is out there. It's not hidden. And so, um, you know, folks need to wake up. These, these vaccines are neither safe nor effective, particularly in vulnerable populations, so pregnant women and children. And the long-term consequences, we don't know. You know, it's one thing vaccinating a 60-year-old who has a you know, life expectancy of maybe 20 years versus a child. We don't know the long-term effects of these vaccines. They've never been tested. And what Pfizer did by design, the placebo arm of their study, they then vaccinated all those in the placebo arm. 
So they, by design, we have no way of following up these patients to determine the long-term consequences, which we just do not know. Let's extend that thought for a moment, please. One of the most courageous women in the United States is uh, also one of the leading feminist educators on women's health issues. And uh, she, well, she was a Rhodes Scholar. She graduated top of her class at Yale. She has a doctorate and uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf. And she was asked to look at some data that was gotten from a, a lawsuit where the manufacturer had to give the data to them. They went to the FDA, and the FDA argued on behalf of Pfizer that they should not release this information for 75 years. Now, just think of that for a moment. Now, remember, the tobacco industry didn't want to release their uh, proprietary information, and they didn't. And the government never uh, released it or stopped them from making something new that was addictive. So here's a manufacturer saying, we're transparent, the vaccines are safe and effective, they're not going to harm you, and condemning people who were questioning the safety and efficacy of some new experiment on their body. So she got uh, hundreds of thousands of documents from Pfizer. It was overwhelming, but uh, 2,500 individuals in the United States who had backgrounds in epidemiology and, uh, let's say, examining statistical correlation they came together to work as a whole group. Then uh, another thousand from overseas did, so about 3,500 people were working on this. What they found was startling. And here's the issue. The manufacturer and the FDA and the CDC and Anthony Fauci, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, all knew that there were serious problems. They hid this from the public. I consider that malice forethought, and therefore, uh, all, all dissenting information was scrubbed. Anyone who challenged the safety was attacked. The media was the lapdog for that attack. Take us now through what we knew at the time, if you were in power, but the average person didn't, the average physician didn't, the average nurse and, and uh, pharmacist giving out these vaccines didn't know any of this. And then ask, would we have taken the vaccines? Have we known from the beginning how deadly they were with all the different uh, uh, results coming in before they have been given to the American public? So that's a good question. The problem is they've lied to us then and they continue to lie. So I, I'm sure if the American public knew the truth right at the beginning, I think if they knew that masks don't work, lockdowns don't work, social isolation doesn't work, and that the vaccines don't work, they're completely ineffective, I think Americans would have followed a different path. The problem is the mass media in this country has been captured by Big Pharma and this industrial complex. So you cannot believe what you hear on CNN or ABC or CBC. They're just regurgitating what the federal government wants you, the story they want to tell you. And we know from the Twitter files that the federal government was interfering with our First Amendment right to, to communicate. So they, they censored us. And once you censor science, 
you completely destroy science. And that's what, ha what happened. Is science is based on an exchange of information. It's based on it's self-correcting. It's based on an, a, a discussion. And so what the federal government did was they censored any, any, any voice that questioned the narrative was censored. And we were silenced. And so that's why what the hospital did to me, their goal was to silence me. The Board of Medicine tried the same thing. And in fact, the American Board of Medicine is doing the same thing again. So all of these agencies are silencing those dissenters that do not want anyone to challenge this false narrative. And it is a false narrative. They've lied to us from the beginning. This is no different what happened in Nazi Germany, I'm sorry to say. In Dr. Malone's chapter, The Anatomy of a Career-Ending Sham Peer Review, you describe sham peer review as a kind of weapon now being used against board-certified physicians like yourself who do not play by the rules. Explain, please, the peer review is being weaponized and given, given us some Give us some examples that you're familiar with so listeners can better understand how this process works to cleanse the medical profession of doctors who truly want to live by the Hipp Hippocratic Oath and do no harm, but are prevented from doing so. And also add into that, why were over 300 scientific articles removed from the peer review literature in the last 12 months. That's never happened in American history before. I just published a peer review article on anti-aging study, and uh, I don't want to see it removed, but these were removed, and you don't see that. Why would they be removing their articles unless their articles were false? And sooner or later, when all this hits the court system, and sooner or later, when these people are brought forward and tried for crimes against humanity, like in modern-day Nuremberg, sooner or later, all those people and all those publications that allow misinformation with intent to mislead the public to be published, they're going to be held accountable, too. There's going to be a lot of people in the witness box. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, so you, you raised some really interesting <laughs> questions. So I had never heard of peer review, uh, sham peer review. It was something that even with the beginning of the process, I wasn't sure what was happening. So when I filed my lawsuit, the very same day that I filed my lawsuit, what the hospital did is they accused me of the seven most outrageous accusations that you could level at a physician. They were completely false. They were fabricated. They, they couldn't provide any data or paperwork to support them, including the fact that they claimed I forced a nurse I forced a nurse to give a patient a medication to which they were allergic. Can you imagine such an outrageous claim that anyone would be that childish to actually make such a claim against a physician that I was forcing nurses to put medications down, down feeding tubes, which was not allowed to be done. So basically there were these seven outrageous claims that they claimed against me. Uh, there was no paperwork. There was no documentation to prove this. And based on these seven fabricated claims, they suspended my hospital privileges um, because the, the idea in the U.S. is working in a hospital is a privilege. You work at the privilege of the hospital. And so they suspended my hospital privileges and they reported me to the National Practitioner Data Bank. 
They did that in attempt to completely destroy my career. What happened then is I went to a kangaroo court where we were meant to discuss these issues, but they didn't discuss these crimes because they knew they were completely false. Instead, what they did is they accused me of new set of crimes, which they didn't uh, tell me about previously, and I was not allowed legal representation. So this was a true kangaroo court. There were like 25 vicious, aggressive people attacking me singly on my own. I had, was not allowed legal representation. And then what they did is they invented new crimes against me that I had become disruptive. I was disruptive to patients. I was not allowing nurses to do their work. Uh, my behavior had become irrational and unpredictable, which is truly astonishing in that in my 40-year career, I'd never received a single complaint, a single patient complaint. I'd never been sued. I'd never had a complaint from a patient, a nurse, a student. I had received the most outstanding evaluations. And suddenly now they accuse me of all of these new crimes for which they could not provide any documentation. And so they, what hospitals do is if there's someone who, who, who is inconvenient to them, who is doing what's scientifically correct, but goes against their, their narrative, they will get rid of you and they will destroy your career. And it's an unfortunate part of the healthcare system. And I'm sure the hospital had the backing of a whole bunch of agencies because I was inconvenient to them. I was telling the inconvenient truth. Um, and that's the process of sham peer review. It's, it's an awful process. Hospitals get away with it. Um, the healthcare agencies support it. And, you know, people need to be outraged that they can do such a thing. So, you know, a, a, a murderer, a rapist, a robber has more legal rights and, and has more due process than a physician in the hospital who undergoes sham peer review. That's a, that's a horrible thought, but you're correct. Let me show that it's not just now. I'm just going to take a few moments because... I've been in the health movement, as I'm hopeful that you're aware of, uh, especially the natural alternative medical modalities, for over 56 years. I was a close friend with Linus Pauling and many other pioneers, uh, Rene Dubow and Buckminster Fuller, uh, George Borkstrom. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of all these people, but these are people in, in the psychological field, uh, Carmi Harari, Martin Shepard. Uh, Dr. Elaine Kahn over at the Albert Ellis Center. So my interest was in the full spectrum of how to use prevention first and then the least invasive, least toxic therapies second. And, uh, and I've been at this ever since. I've done over 60 clinical studies when I was a senior research fellow for 38 years at the Institute of Applied Biology and head of the anti-aging division. I did 165 different clinical studies. So, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with what works and does work in most cases. And yet at the very beginning of my career, I was warned by a doctor, you may not have heard of him, Dr. Robert Mendelson. He was, the, in fact, the president of the uh, Pediatric Society of Illinois, worked out of Chicago. And he said, 
There are certain third rails in medicine you cannot talk about publicly. If you do, they'll go after you. And one is vaccines. They want you to believe that all vaccines are necessary and all vaccines are safe and effective. They are not. And he said, you have no idea how many children I've seen who have vaccine injuries and no one will acknowledge it. Okay. He was one of the first persons. Dr. Theron Randolph was another one. He was the pioneer in environmental medicine in the whole country. And I knew these people. Albert Georgie, who got the Nobel Prize for vitamin C. I spoke with him many times. All of the people, every doctor in America, every single one who was using complementary and alternative therapies, first they were just mainstream board-certified physicians. They had no problems. They had no controversy. They had, like yourself, no criticisms until they began to realize there were limitations in the orthodox approach, so they started seeking other venues. They would educate themselves on it. They would come to my office all the time. Dr. Martin Feldman, number one, graduated number one at Yale and top of the class, College of Physicians, Surgeon, Columbia University, Associate Professor of Neurology at Mount Sinai, and uh, and published 68 peer-reviewed journals at that up to that time, orthodox as you get. And he said, I said, why do you want to learn more in a different field? And he said, because I'm able to help some people some of the time, but the majority I am not. And he, he was... He was just being honest. So he sat for a year every evening after he finished work in my office when I counseled people late, and he just sat and listened. And finally, after a year, he says, I got it. And then from then on, he never once prescribed drugs for the rest of his career, 45 years. And he helped thousands of people. So what does the medical board come? medical board comes in and says, you're using alternative medicine. They took him to court. The state medical boards went after all their license, not just one. Every single doctor in the United States, Dr. Robert Vance and Dr. Robert Atkins and all of them, Stuart Berger, they went after all of them. I knew all these people. I had them on my radio show. And uh, they didn't attack them because they hurt patients. This is important. They attacked them because they weren't using current scientific principles. So if you were a Dr. James Privatera, who had hundreds of patients, he said, get surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, but when you've gotten your orthodox therapy for cancer, come to me and I'll help build up your immune system so you don't get a rebound you know, cancer from having a defective immune system. They went after him. Over 270 patients wanted to testify that he helped them. The judge says, that's not what we're here. We're not here to see whether he was treating patients and succeeding in curing them or helping them. We're here to ask one question. Did he use current acceptable scientific methods. If he didn't, then the jury has to find him guilty. And the jury did. And he ended up in a chain gang um, breaking rocks and clearing debris down in California. His wife came to me, and fortunately, because my radio show at the time, we were able to get him released. But every single doctor is under attack. Now, every single doctor in America today is under the same attack. If you're using ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, then you're attacked, the state medical boards. If you want to use monoclonal antibodies, you're attacked. Azithromycin, you're attacked. If you want to show all the studies supporting it, over 500 studies in the peer-reviewed literature supporting their efficacy and safety, they don't care. If you want to show a 1,000 patients, a million patients who didn't die after they got COVID and got sick, they don't care. They don't care about anything except using current scientific methods which means they create the protocols, 
And then you just take a step and open this door and say, this just doesn't make any sense. A doctor's supposed to use whatever their knowledge gives them in the way of a therapy that can help that patient in the moment they're saying that the patient is sick, dealing with the symptoms. No, you see a pharmaceutical juggernaut controlling everything, capturing the FDA, CDC, the World Health Organization. Then behind them, you see uh, the major suppliers of the drugs. You see the hospital associations owned by equity partners, uh, risk capital uh, venturists. Behind them, you see the most powerful people on the planet, and that is you see BlackRock, you see uh, you see Fidelity, and uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, State Street, Vanguard, the most powerful corporations because they own together somewhere around $40 trillion in stock in companies. So they invest in every co company. So if you buy Coke or Pepsi-Cola, they control the stock. If you buy stock or you, 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 you look at Pfizer or Moderna, they own controlling stock. They get on the board of directors. You own CBS, ABC, CNN, Fox, they own controlling interest. They decide what gets on the air. Now, this is not something they talk about but ask yourself, why has Congress not done an official investigation into how much money, you mentioned 20% a hospital got if they used one of the most toxic drugs ever created that should never be used in anyone, and a remdesivir? Well, ask who owns the company that manufactures remdesivir? Who owns each of the pharmaceutical companies? What role, if any, and you would find out through discovery, was pressure placed upon what to do and what to say. These companies just don't do anything without intent. So we haven't begun to see all the different people behind the scenes who made hundreds of billions of dollars off this gigantic fiasco. And it makes me sad because we're repeating the same thing that I've seen since some papers were put on uh, in an envelope back in the early 1970 uh, from an unknown source, and I opened it up and read it, and it was inside documents from the AMA. And it talked about a secret department of investigation that had been there for 25 years, a man named Throckmorton and Joel Taylor, and it showed, and I got a whole series of these, me and one other guy named Joe Lisa, a very good reporter, and when I put the pieces together, I saw that orthodox medicine represented by the AMA was going after all alternative therapies, any form of naturopathy, homeopathy, traditional Chinese medicine, energy medicine, anything other than orthodox was attacked, defunded, and killed. And they were going after chiropractic in particular. They wanted to eliminate it. Quote, according to doc documents in court, uh, have it wither and die on the vine. And therefore they saw that Medicaid wouldn't cover it, no insurance would cover it. And so chiropractors would be lucky to get $15 for an adjustment. The industry was dead until I published my articles. And then that led to lawsuits against the AMA and the 12 medical organizations, and they lost. The chiropractors won. And for the first time, the AMA had to acknowledge that chiropractic was not, quote, an unscientific cult, but a legitimate healing science. And therefore, chiropractors began to be recognized Insurance began to cover them, and it survived. I did four major articles on that. I did a lot of investigative reporting on that. I did the same thing in 300 other cases 
exposing corruption. So now here we are, all these decades later, and nothing has changed, nothing. We have a corrupt press, we have an indifferent public, we have distractions spread in circuses, and we don't have a scientific and medical community that either has the intent, the knowledge, the intellect, or the temerity to say, I'm going to find the truth, not just what you spoon feed me, I'm going to find the truth and see what I need to do to help keep my patients healthy and alive, even if it goes against your protocols. So we haven't changed at all, unfortunately. And I've been there through all of this to see all this manifestation. Your thoughts, please. I'm sorry, no, you long, but I just you want to show you the spread of this. No, you're absolutely right. You know, I said 40 years, but it's probably 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Nothing has changed. That medicine is controlled by big pharma and these corporations. And any any anything which goes against mainstream will be outlawed, will be discredited, will be called misinformation. And unfortunately, these people control the press. They control the healthcare agencies. I mean, it's no... It's no, um, uh, it's no secret that the CDC and the NIH are controlled by Big Pharma. The CDC is controlled by Big Pharma. They, they get most of their money from Big Pharma. And there is this rotating door. People go from Big Pharma to the CDC and back again. It's the, the, the CDC and the NIH work for Big Pharma. They do not work for the American public. They're not interested in public health. They are public health agencies. Their, 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 their last interest is the health and welfare of the American public. They are there to serve the big pharma and their, their supporters. So you're right. Nothing has changed in 50 years. And the only way this can change is if Congress acts and, and acts in a decisive way. The problem is that there's so many healthcare lobbyists. There are more healthcare lobbyists than there are people in Congress. And almost every single member in Congress, regardless of their political affiliation, receives money from Big Pharma. So we, we have a, a terrible situation. And Big Pharma spend at least 20 times more money on lobbying, promotion, advertising than they do on research. So they lie about where their money goes. So we, we have a terrible situation where the agencies are controlled and bought by Big Pharma and Congress is controlled and bought by Big Pharma. So we, we have a really bad situation. And so the, this, this has to change. When a person... Dr. Merrick, when a person has a question, let's say they have a question about cancer or ADHD, whatever the question is, Google is going to take them to Wikipedia. And Wikipedia has a very strong bias. In my opinion, Wikipedia, we should walk away from it. And even um, the co-founder of Wikipedia was just on uh, doing an interview saying that he doesn't trust it anymore because it's been so captured. And one of the people capturing is Big Pharma. So they're only going to give you the orthodox approach to any condition, and they're going to deny the alternative approach. So Richard Gale and I did a series of articles, 73 articles, challenging Wikipedia. These are not little articles. These are scholarly pieces, um, fully referenced. 
And we decided to take a look at what Wikipedia had to say, since it's the world's number one go-to place for truth and uh, good information, not disinformation. And uh, so we went to the National Library of Medicine on every one of the conditions they challenged or every one of the therapies they attacked, like homeopathy, chiropractic, massage, meditation, whatever it is. And just using, only using peer-reviewed studies from the National Library of Medicine, we found tens of thousands of studies, tens of thousands. In fact, over a weekend, I think we each put in about 20 hours, and we had thousands of articles each that we were going through that support traditional Chinese medicine, that support Ayurvedic medicine, and these other therapies, and vitamin C drips, and... Uh, not a word, not one word was an opinion. It was not subjective, purely objective. But just to show, here's Wikipedia telling you what to do, and here's the rest of the world's approach, and they're diametrically opposite. Where the best results come from? The complementary and alternative approaches, which are proven to work even in the best case uh, scenario. So here's a question. You have used alternative therapies wisely. You're open. You're flexible. You look at what helps the patient and does not harm the patient. That's the core. That's the foundation of medicine. You and Pierre Corey and others have done the same. I know that you've influenced thousands of doctors. You've also opened up the mind of many scientists and public health advocates. You certainly have, have touched the hearts of many legislators who have heard your testimony, very compelling. Uh, you, can't, you can't watch that piece that you did in Congress without feeling a deep sense of, uh, of empathy for what you've gone through, because you took it personally. You know, when you're not able to help patients that normally you could help reverse their disease by the tools you've used, and here you've published 400 papers. You were at the top of the pyramid when it comes to respect by your peers, and suddenly you're out. But not only you are out, every one of those doctors that showed up in front of the Supreme Court, out. All the doctors and scientists and activists who signed the Great Barrington Declaration, out. All of it attacked. In fact, the leaders, the founders of the Great Barrington Declaration about the dangers of, of isolation and homes and quarantining, the top epidemiologists at Stanford, Harvard, Oxford University, dismissed by uh, the head of the U.S. Public Health Service, Collins, and they, in a memo that we have that was gotten by one of the committees, uh, how to destroy their reputations. Now those 75,000 have become hundreds of thousands. So on the one hand, I'm seeing a lot of people pay attention, but what I'm not seeing is I'm not seeing the average physician highly educated, intelligent, fully capable of understanding the scientific literature or reading alternative literature, and yet they haven't stood up, they haven't spoken out, they haven't demonstrated, not once. The same small little coterie of doctors are doing all the demonstrating, all of the challenges, same people, and thank goodness, now instead of being attacked by the European Union, they were invited to attend the European Union, and they got a standing ovation now that they've been, in effect, they've been deemed to have been honest and right. 
But the media didn't cover that. Not a single media covered it. But I did. I saw it. I, I, my heart was so warm to the people who were getting up there and telling the truth. And I think that's amazing. But why hasn't 95% of the American physicians stood up, joined together, challenged you, asked for proof, put you the acid test if needed, but at least find the truth so that we could stop it? Because the American medicine and nurses and pharmacists did this, none of this would have happened. But they haven't done anything that I can see. Yeah. Your thoughts? It's a really really good question why there's been such a silent, large majority. Um, It is perplexing because the anyone with half a brain should be able to figure out what the real truth is. So there are a number of possibilities. One is they don't want to find out the truth because they've been part of this false narrative and it would be difficult for them to accept that they had made a mistake because they clearly had made a mistake. So they may be scared. The other is they may be scared because of the repercussions from the state medical boards and the American Board of Internal Medicine and, and such like agencies that, you know, that they, they want to protect their livelihood or they just don't care. And so it's very difficult to know which category they fit into. But clearly, the vast majority of physicians have been silent on this issue. And this is a tragedy. You know, if there were more of them that had been vocal, had spoken the truth, had shown their dissatisfaction, then I think things could have been different because you can't you can't ignore the vast majority of people. I agree. I only have one more question, and that is the people think that the RNA vaccine is just regular RNA. It's not. It's modified RNA. It means that it doesn't leave the body quickly. They can't control what it does. The spike proteins that the cells create are toxic. And the nano uh, self-organizing lipids in there, they didn't anticipate, I'm sure, that it would be staying in the body and growing over periods of time, weeks, months, maybe years. So the worst is yet to come for a lot of people. And now we have this spike in unknown cause of death. In some cases, between 20 and 40 percent in younger people up to the age of 60 are dying in ways that we've never seen in American history. When you add in, let's say, a, this for argument's sake, a million eight hundred thousand dying each year from all causes in the United States, and suddenly you have an increase of 20, 30, 40 percent, we've never seen that in world history. And yet they're saying from unknown causes, well, do the autopsies and see how many of them had myocarditis, scarring of the heart. See how many of them had other conditions due to the vaccines. And yet that's not being done. And yet the evidence is there. The people are dying in huge numbers after this is all over now. And it's just continuing. It's not going down, it's going up. And the only thing I can account for that that changed is vaccines. Your thoughts? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, there've been a, there, it, it, apparently in Germany, it's okay to do an autopsy on someone who's died suddenly after the vaccine. Yet in the U.S., these vac- these autopsies aren't done. So the late Arnie Bernhardt did did over fifty autopsies on patients who died unexpectedly after vaccination. 
and at least 80% of them were directly due to the vaccine. And what he found was astonishing. Every single organ in the body, every single organ of the body was packed with spike protein. It wasn't subtle. So the, the manifestations of the vaccine weeks to months after are absolutely devastating. And as you said, the mRNA is an altered mRNA. It hangs around for at least two months, if not longer. The spike protein may last for 18 months or even longer. So this is a, the, the spike protein is one of the most toxic proteins known to the human body. So why would you self-inject? Why would you want to be injected with a toxic protein? Makes absolutely no sense. I thank you very much, first for your courage, Dr. Paul Merrick, and for standing up and putting a very distinguished career, mind you, former distinguished professor of internal medicine and chair of the pulmonary and critical care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School and uh, fellowships in all these different societies, published 400 period articles, and yet you put it all at risk to tell the truth. That, to me, is important. I wish you all the best. We look forward to another conversation. Thank you, Gary. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank all of you for watching and for listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Have a nice day. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you die. You know we 